It's easy to have some unhealthy relationships with anything in our lives. And it's especially easy to have an unhealthy relationship with money. It has an alluring power. We spend our lives hoping to have enough. And it's easy to suddenly slip into becoming like financial hoarders, where it's like everything I can do is trying to nickel and dime, get my way to get as much accumulation, but I never can actually enjoy it or spend it because I'm just growing that pile of money. And at some point, someone else will take it because it can't go with us. And for, for some people, the power of money creates these kind of financial scammers, those people who keep robocalling you, where it's just, what if I could just trick somebody else out of a little bit of money? And they work really hard at something that's stealing instead of other opportunities. And so if I could just get money and I don't have to worry about what happens to other people in my life, I just, I'm going to acquire as much as I can from whoever I can. Some people, that abuse of, of money and power, it becomes financial lobbying of I've got an agenda, I've got something I want, and I will use my money to get that thing. But money has this way of potentially corrupting. It's alluring. And uh, it's something that we all face temptations around. And so today, I want to talk about how we can improve our relationship, not only with our money, but also with God and with everybody around us. And so to do that, we're going to be looking at a story. It's a very obscure story, which is some of my favorites. From Acts chapter 8, it's about a magician. How many times do we get stories about a magician in the Bible, right? So we've got a guy named Simon who's going to try to buy something he can't buy. And so we're going to read this story today, and we're going to see what it reveals to us about our relationship to money and to each other and to God. And so I'm going to break this up into some sections for us. And so we're going to read an introduction to the scene, understand a little bit about the background of what's happening. So Acts 8, 4 through 13. Now those who were scattered went from place to place, proclaiming the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. And the crowds with one accord listened eagerly to what was said by Philip, hearing and seeing the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud shrieks, came out of many who were possessed, and many others who were paralyzed or lame were cured. So there was great joy in that city. Here's where the tension starts. Now, a certain man named Simon had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he was someone great. And all of them, from the least to the greatest, listened to him eagerly, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they listened eagerly to him, because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, who was proclaiming good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ... They were baptized, both men and women. And even Simon himself believed. After being baptized, he stayed constantly with Philip and was amazed when he saw the signs and great miracles that took place. We'll pause there for now. When this story starts, it talks about the scattering, and, and Philip goes to Samaria. And when we last were with the disciples, they were in Jerusalem. And the story right before this is the martyrdom of Stephen at the hands of Saul and others. And so persecution starts happening in Jerusalem, and the people start spreading out. 
And as they go out from Jerusalem, they start sharing about the good news. And so they get to this city in Samaria, and they proclaim Jesus as Messiah. The people respond powerfully. People's lives are being changed. People are being healed. And this, again, it seems like that should just be a great story. This makes you feel good. But then the messiness of real life emerges in the story. And so anytime the power of God starts to be announced and rule, those who used to have power and exerted it over people start to feel a little bit scared because I'm losing my, my reputation, my status. And so it's telling you all of these great things, and it goes, let me tell you a little bit further back into the story. And so Simon used to walk around doing amazing signs of some sort. We don't get the exact kinds of, of magic or power that he was trying to exert. Maybe it was mentalist tricks. I can, I can tell you what you're thinking. Uh, you know, I, th I think about like carnivals for us of like, there's a magic of like, I don't understand how you tricked me here, but something alluring is happening and I can't turn my eyes away. So Simon has gotten everyone's attention from the least to the greatest. And they're all like, he's somebody. And that probably felt good for Simon. And so here comes Philip and he's announcing the good news of Jesus. And Simon can't deny his eyes. He becomes fascinated. He's like, I, I know what I've been up to, but what on earth is happening with this Philip guy? So even Simon believes. He says, I want to be a part of that. And it says that he stayed constantly with Philip and was amazed what he saw and what great miracles took place. There's a no. We're, we're going to get to where Simon's going to make a bad decision very soon. But sometimes we think that the threats are from afar. But Simon brought himself really, really close always watching, always very, very close to the action, waiting for his moment where he can find a way to exert his own power again. And so in this story, it says, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. And the two went down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet the Spirit had not come upon any of them, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying of hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, so that on anyone whom I lay my hands, they may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain God's gift with money. You have no part or share in this for your heart is not right before God. I'm going to pause there again. There's something interesting in, in literature. When you tell stories, if you have anybody who can do magic in a story, you have to limit their power. Uh, if, you know, if Superman could just walk around without any vulnerabilities or weakness, where is the story tension ever going to be? You have to have something even as silly as kryptonite, a little rock, to weaken him. Uh, and our stories are filled with people who use magic. They have to have some limitation. And so if you think about J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, you got Frodo who has this great ring of power that everybody lusts after. And when he uses it, he becomes invisible. But the moment he does that, evil can spot him. 
and they're looking for him. And there's a danger that he's going to be, he's going to be captured. He's going to lose his life, his power, the ring. In the great kind of like kids fairy tales, you've got King Midas touching things and they turn to gold. And that sounds wonderful until you realize I can't touch people I love. Like how do I navigate? Because this thing that seems like a blessing and is powerful also can be a curse. And so Simon is aware that there's some sort of power limitations. There's some sort of cost involved to any sort of gift. And he wants to know what monetary value the apostles have on the giving of the Holy Spirit. Hey, how much would it cost me if I could just have that power? You see what you just did there? I'd like to buy it from you. Let me buy that from you. Give me also this power so that on anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now we've seen the power of the Spirit moving in this community throughout the story. When Philip was there, he was demonstrating it, healing crowds. And Peter and John, they bring a different power. They don't just heal, they are enabling other people to have the power of the Spirit. And so that's what catches Simon's eye. He doesn't say, let me have your power. I want to heal people who need it. He says, can I buy the power so that I can lay my hands on someone and they can get the power? What he's kind of embarking on is a bit of a multi-level marketing scheme. Because if he thinks it has financial value, that I will buy this from you, maybe I can sell it to the next guy. If you give me the power to lay on my hands and I can give someone else power, I bet people will come to me. They'll know I have something that they need. And for a small $99 a month for three payments, maybe you too could get that power. And so he's seized on this moment where maybe I can make myself powerful again. Maybe I can enrich myself Again, he doesn't ask anything about, let me help others, let me heal others. I want that power to be able to hand to whoever I choose. And so I think what's interesting in the story is that there are plenty of Christians at that moment and today who would tell the apostles, go ahead, we'll take the money. We could use that money. Don't you know with Simon's money, we could really do some great things. We could, we could pay for a lot of Bibles. We could make that building addition that we need. We could pay some salaries. We could pay for some mission trips. Isn't there a lot of wonderful things we could do with that money? Just, just, just give it to them. What does it cost? We could use that money. But Peter wants nothing to do with this. And, you know, we think about Peter's boldness. I feel like this is not one of the stories that we usually go to about Peter's boldness. But I don't know if you can get a more bold statement back to Simon's request, which you could read as, oh, he's just, he just wants to know what he can spend to get this nice power to help people. Peter turns and says, may your money perish with you. Wow. He gives him a curse. We're used to saying blessings. May you find God's love and life. 
Peter says, may your money die with you. I don't think Peter's up for the money power grabs. He doesn't have any power on Peter here. And so Peter says, you know why? Why am I cursing you right now? Because you thought you could obtain God's gift with money. One of the secrets of this story is that God does not need any of our money. Sometimes you get really reliant. Money can give you power. It gives you status. It gets you access. But it does nothing in front of God. You want me to put a price tag on salvation? You want me to put a price tag on peace, on love, on wholeness? We don't take that money here. It's not welcome. Last week we read about Ananias and Sapphira. They decided we want to mislead people about our generosity. Wouldn't it be great if everyone thought we gave everything that we sold? But we'd like to keep a little bit for ourselves and we're going to mislead people. Peter talks to them, boom, they drop dead in that moment. And that feels severe, whether they, they've died of shame or guilt or, or whatever happened there. Here, we have Simon the magician showing up and saying, I'd like to buy this gift. And Peter says, may your money go right to the grave with you. And even though it feels obvious, God doesn't need your money. We struggle with still believing God does. And the more I give, the better a Christian I am. If I don't have as much, maybe I'm not worth as much. We still feel like the monetary value is somehow important to God of who we are. But what we need is not, how do I buy something of God? What we need is to break free of money's control and power over us. And so greed is like this infectious disease. When you, when you idolize money to, to an extreme and you start lusting and, and having this greed for it, it infects you. Your life starts changing, your perspective, your priorities start changing. And the danger in this Christian community was, while God is bringing people last week, they're doing things in common. They're taking care of people in need. They're preaching the word of who Jesus is. If I start letting that corruption, that pollution enter into the community, who knows how much it might tear people apart. And here in Samaria with these, these new Christians who are just starting to follow Jesus, what if we let these power dynamics and this financial thing tear apart what God is doing? And so why don't we just accept Simon's gift or Ananias' gift? We could do a lot of money, and we could do a lot with that money. We, why don't we just accept it? It's because it's, it's not a gift anymore. It's a sickness. And as tempting as it is to take that sickness, because I could do a lot with it. There's something powerful of saying, this doesn't have any control over me anymore. This doesn't have any power. I'm going to be free of that. And so on this occasion, maybe today on June 19th, we might be reminded of the ways in which money enslaves all people. When our country for a long time knew that equality and freedom was the ideal and what was what was needed, 
There was a lot of people who said, but wouldn't our economy collapse if slavery ended? How could we ever do away with it? And that fear of your money allowed corruption, slavery to continue. And it doesn't just end with any written document. Pronouncing freedom doesn't necessarily make everybody perfectly free automatically. And so it still was a challenge for people. How do I let my monetary concerns not outweigh what's right, what's just? And so, well, maybe I can't own slaves, but maybe if I can imprison someone and they can do prison work for me, maybe that'll be okay. Because I kind of relied on my cheap labor. And so we should be reminded that our freedom is attached to whether we allow ourselves to submit to idols. Do we let money rule over us where we make decisions based on just money? And the hope of this text is that there's a community that buys in that there is another way. That Philip doesn't come saying, hey, if you believe in Jesus, you're going to get rich tomorrow. He says you're going to be healed. New creation, life as God intends it, restoration of things, the healing of things. And Simon wanted to exchange that for, can I make a little bit of money? How much would it cost to get this power? And so Peter follows up. He says, repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the chains of wickedness. Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may happen. And now after this, Peter and John had testified, spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, proclaiming the good news to many villages of the Samaritans on the way. Peter does have something very harsh to say in this text. If this is the, where your heart's at, may your money just die with you. But he does turn and say, repent. I see you are enslaved in chains of wickedness and bitterness. Turn from it. And I want to have some hope that he turns. His reply in the text is not very hopeful. Because when Simon says, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said may happen to me, definitely leaves things short. He doesn't say, pray that my heart might change. Pray that I might repent fully. Pray that I might trust more. He says, pray that I don't die with my money. That, that curse, I don't want that to happen. Can you make sure my outcome isn't what you said earlier? Which to me shows he's still enchained in that. Hey, pray for me but I can't even get myself to ask you to pray that I actually get out of this cycle. I just, I just don't want the bad outcome. I don't want the consequences of my behaviors or my desires. Can I get away with it? Can you pray to God that this doesn't come back on me with any consequences? And I think about, for all of us, we all have things that we know like, oh, I've still, I'm still not trusting fully. I'm still not giving myself over to God fully. There's still this area that I'm having a hard time letting go of. And Peter invites us just to turn from it. 
Repent, turn your heart, turn to God, and don't let yourself just live enslaved to this thing. I think on, on a day where we're celebrating fathers that I think it's good for dads to hear and it's good for all of us to hear, you don't just need that extra paycheck, that additional bonus, or whatever that financial thing is. I hope you see the, the people in your life, the fruit of all the labor, to enjoy it, not just to be enslaved by it. Because it's easy to get enslaved to the thing that you just keep running that wheel on. Maybe turn from that and say, I don't want to be enslaved to this thing. I want to be free of it. Let me enjoy life. Let me enjoy what God has to offer. And so when I think about for us in our church community, um, you know, in our current state, we've, we've got an offering box in the back of the room, and you don't see an offering plate going around all the time right now. And one of the things that I appreciate about that is I think we would actually probably raise more money if every single time that you were in the room, we just put the plate in front of you. Because at some point you'll say, oh, I feel bad, I should put something in there. But the point of the offering box is not to shame you or guilt trip you. It is supposed to be an opportunity. I had a pastor friend who said he went to a church, he opened the bulletin, and they had an itemized list from the previous week of who gave what amount. Anybody feel like that would be embarrassing? Like, wow, <laughs> we're being very upfront and honest here. And I'm sure that gets more money. But it's not about more money. What I think is powerful is, is offerings being, you have the opportunity to say, money, you don't control me. You don't have a power over me. I want to help somebody else. I'm not trying to figure out how to help myself 100% of the time. But in this moment, I want to give something because I think it's going to make lives different. It's going to change it. It's going to transform it. It's going to bring healing. And that's such a better reason to give than thinking, well, like Ananias and Sapphira, I'm looking around. Everybody's giving their stuff. Maybe I can make it look like I'm also giving all my stuff. Because that's not the point. God doesn't need a single penny. It's not about that. What God wants to see is us free of everything that enslaves us. And one of those things is our money. And so as much as Simon thinks he can just buy God's favor, God's power, the beauty is it was free the whole time. He just had to give up the idols to go all in. Just trust when you go into baptism, not just because others are getting baptized, but saying, I want to die to my old self. I want to live afresh, a new life. God, reign in me. Let your will be done. And it's not a money game anymore. It's just being all in to who God is. And so my prayer for us is that we might overcome whatever those things are that keep shackling us down. And for some of us, that might be greed. For some of us, that might be envy, might be pride, whatever that is. I hope that you can find a way to say, God, break me free of that today. Don't just break me free of the consequences. Break me free of the thing that is at the root cause, my own desires. And so may we know that, that our, our service together, our, our offerings, our, 
our outreach, our, our work together is not out of obligation and duty, but out of living out the beauty of what God invites us into. That life can be another way, another route than what the world tells us it has to be. And so may we not just do things because of requirements or checking the box, but out of pure joy, because there's joy when you're unleashed from bondage. When you get free, you sing out. And so may we sing out today with joy. And so may God find a way to open all of our hearts so that we might turn whenever we need to turn today. Would you pray with me? Lord, we confess that there are times where we've tried to control you. There are times where we've tried to make our will be done, not yours. There are times where we might have deceived ourselves, thinking our motives were pure, and maybe upon more reflection we'd realize they weren't. Lord, we ask your forgiveness for every time that we fall short of living into the freedom and the goodness of your kingdom. Lord, I ask that you might give each of us the joy of your good news, that it might not be a burden, it might not be toilsome, but that we feel lighter on our feet today. Lord, let us sing of your love of your freedom, of your hope. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.